Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. Give them respect by listening. You know, how many times have you been in a conversation with someone where you didn't even get to finish your sentence and they interrupted you? Or you were talking to them about something and then um, they picked up their phone or they started checking their email. It's like, you know, it's not very respectful. And so you also give people respect when you do what you say you're gonna do. So if you promise your boss you're gonna do something and you can't get it done, then you have to tell her. Mm. But if you just say, well, I just didn't get it done, you know, after the fact, that doesn't work. Mm. So it's really being transparent and being honest and treating people the way you would like to be. You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that message today comes from Roberta Matchison, president of Matchison Consulting and the author of Can We Talk, who encourages leaders to listen more. And in this episode, Matchison shares how to have difficult conversations, hire cultures of trustful leaders, and make leaders magnetic. So without further interruption, folks, may I introduce to you episode 202 with the real Roberta Matchison. Enjoy. And boom, just like that. Happy Tuesday, everybody out there in listener land. My name is Kevin Edwards. I'm the host of the Real Ears podcast. Joining us today is Roberta Matchison, the president of Matchison Consulting. Roberta, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So we, we were talking about, I don't know, what was that, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, about difficult conversations. Yes. It was an easy conversation about difficult conversations. Thank you. So uh, for people listening out there, Roberta, like, what does that mean exactly? And how does that translate to... Uh, 
the, the business environment, to the leadership, to the culture of an organization uh, when you're able to have uneasy conversations? Well, the fact that there are so many conversations in the workplace that aren't said until it's too late, it's really, you know, what I call an epidemic. I mean, there's so many unsaid conversations and these unsaid conversations are costing organizations billions of dollars. Mm. You know, if, if you don't feel good about the place that you work at and you're not comfortable talking to your boss about that, chances are pretty good you're going to leave. And, you know, the job numbers were announced today, the uh, number of openings here in the U.S., record numbers, 8.1 mil million. So, you know, it's time for us to talk. So, uh, eight, hold on one sec, 8.1 million is referring to what? That's referring to the number of job openings that there currently are here in right. the United States, and it's a record. Right. And uh, this this past month's April's report was uh, historically low. Is that correct in terms of how many jobs have been filled? Um, it was about how many jobs were created. But hmm. if you add them all up, which basically what I'm saying is, is that your employees have a choice. And it might not feel like that right now. You might think that they're all sitting home grateful to have a job, and many of them are. Uh, however, there's a lot of activity going on behind the scenes, and you're going to see a lot of people switching seats. So where are you getting at exactly in terms of the, the numbers of 8.1 million job openings out there? How does that correlate with uh, difficult conversations? Well, you know, the people who are happy at work, they're not interested in talking to other employers about opportunities. It's the people who aren't happy or don't feel like their manager is engaging with them. You know, it's like this. I was talking to a client the other day and he was saying to me, you know, I really like this new position, but my boss won't engage in a conversation to tell me what I'm really not doing great. And so I suspect that job's going to go to someone else. Mm. And I suspect he's right. And when it does go to someone else, I suspect that he'll go elsewhere. So if his manager would just be willing to be truthful and just have a conversation about, you know, what he's, where he needs to improve, he more than likely would be given this promotion because he's the kind of guy who would certainly do whatever it took to get that next step. And his boss wouldn't be looking for a replacement, you know, two months from now. Hmm. And we hear this time and time again about uh, employees being unsatisfied or not being told what they're doing wrong. Um, now, it comes down to an individual level, but also at a collective level. What enables a culture that uh, encourages difficult conversations? Well, I just want to backtrack because it's not just about telling people what they're doing wrong. Um, leaders aren't even telling people what they're doing right. Hmm. So it, you know, my goal in my work is to make sure that you have these balanced conversations, right? Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you're doing really well. And if we can tweak these one or two other areas and you could be doing really well. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Uh, so that uh, that's an interesting that you brought up that job number because I thought that job number was because uh, everyone isn't like applying for jobs. 
Is that, do you see that differently? We don't know why it is okay. what it is. We just know that if you are a job seeker or you are someone who is not in a, in a great situation right now, that mm. there are a tremendous number of jobs available. And of course, we don't know if those jobs are all entry-level jobs, if they're technical jobs, if they require a PhD. We don't have that data, hmm. but it is an alarm and it is going off. Hmm. Okay, okay. So uh, what, like difficult conversations, at least when the way you presented it, I was more, I was thinking about, okay, well, at a leadership level, if I have, let's say, a higher job role than someone else, those people with higher job roles aren't having those conversations. But I think what's also difficult is how do you have a conversation with an employee that you don't really have control over? You don't obviously have an authoritative voice. You cannot tell them what to do. You don't want to tell them what to do. But you have to have those conversations to make sure things are getting done in your division, in your department. What is a good approach to reaching out to someone either across the aisle or in your department to make sure that you're being as productive as possible? Yeah, that's a great question. And I write about it in Can We Talk, how to have a conversation, a sticky conversation with a coworker even. And it's really about looking at the fact that, you know, we have a common goal here, right? And so saying to your coworker, or if you're, if you're somebody who's in another division and you need help with something is to remind that person that ultimately we have a common goal and that's to, you know, improve this product so that our customers are satisfied and they come back. And so with that in mind, I've noticed a few things um, that I'd like to talk to you about. Are you open to hearing that? Right. And just sort of setting the stage and in the book, I talk about how important it is to set the stage and to make sure that you're having those conversations um, at a time when somebody can take that information in. So if you think about the fact that so many people today are working remotely, right? Um, you and I were talking before the show, and the only thing you know about me right now is that I have a dog, okay? And that you like Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yes, and I like Bruce Springsteen. I knew Springsteen. that. <laughs> and my dog came to visit while, you know, you and I were setting up, but you don't know if I'm in a, you know, 500 square foot apartment with my spouse right next to me. You don't know if I have kids who are within earshot. So you don't even know if I'm in a place where I can have this conversation and be mm. comfortable. And so I'm encouraging people before they start these conversations to you know, if it's a remote worker, just say, you know, hey, what I have to say is really important and it's somewhat personal. You know, are you in a place where we can talk privately? Mm. Oh, interesting. So how big of a part is like self-awareness in this whole thing? Like, how, like knowing who you are, knowing kind of what your role is, what you've been able to contribute and knowing the other person and where they're coming from. How important is that to have or equip yourself with or to be conscientious of before you asks about that, to have that conversation? Well, you know, the more time you take to know someone, the more, the, the easier the conversation gets because you know more about their history, right? Um, so in the book, I write about the fact that, you know, I've worked for some pretty abusive bosses. And so if you said to me, and I, you know, cite examples in the book, but if you said, can we talk? Like my first response is, oh, 
like, oh my gosh, here it goes. You know, it's going to happen. Um, and so if you and I had gotten to know each other and maybe you were my boss and you knew my experience, you might kind of slide in a little more gently, right? So that I was open to having this conversation. Hmm. Okay. So what about those bosses then that are a little abusive, that are, you know, the, the, the bosses that no one likes? Everyone knows who I'm talking about. A lot of people have had bosses that they don't like working for, and they could picture those people in their heads right now. When it comes to, like, trying to speak to those people, have those difficult conversations as someone that is being paid by them, what would you suggest? Well, first of all, I think you have to be really clear on what kind of boss you have, right? And if that person isn't going to be open to feedback, you're just going to be talking to yourself. So in my case, with my very abusive boss, you know, I could have had my book, I could have read my book, I could have done everything right, and nothing would have changed. And so I think you have to be realistic. And you have to say, um, is there even any possibility this conversation is going to get me one step closer to where I need to be right now with this individual. And if the answer is no, then, you know, you, you can't help everyone. Right. And if the answer is no, you may want to just, you know, kind of delay that conversation and find another place to work because you're not going to change that person. Right. Mm, right. Yeah, of course. And everyone has their own style and their own approach to different things. But I think what everyone can kind of relate on is like just overall respect for somebody else. Like how do you give that person respect uh, when it comes to both personal and professional conversations? That's a great question. Um, you give them respect by listening. You know, how many times have you been in a conversation with someone where you didn't even get to finish your sentence and they interrupted you? Or you were talking to them about something and then... Um, they picked up their phone or they started checking their email. It, it's like, you know, it's not very respectful. And so you also give people respect when you do what you say you're going to do. So if you promise your boss you're going to do something and you can't get it done, then you have to tell her. Mm. But if you just say, well, I just didn't get it done, you know, after the fact, that doesn't work. So it's really being transparent and being honest and treating people the way you would like to be treated. Mm. So in this book that you wrote, uh, when you're maybe talking about your story, what were some signals that maybe you caught yourself on that says, oh, geez, I need to have this conversation or for maybe even leaders listening to this? Uh, what are some signals that they can be looking for to say, geez, I have a culture that's not very open to having difficult conversations? Yeah, well, there were a lot of moments. Um, <laughs> I, one of them I remember, uh, you know, I do have a tendency to want to see the good in everyone and to want to help everyone. And I had an employee by the name of Lila who just like took such advantage of me that, you know, I almost probably lost my job because of her. And it was a situation where, and I'm sure many of your listeners have had employees like this where, you know, they come from a difficult background, they've shared with you, you know, just all sorts of personal things. So you have that knowledge. And so every time there was a problem, she would have an excuse. 
And she was like the master of excuses and they were mm. really good excuses. And so I would sort of say, oh, okay, well, let's work around that until it got to the point where my boss started to notice. And then that's when I felt like, you know, my job was being threatened because I was letting her do things that no boss would ever let anyone do. Mm. Interesting. And I think you've raised a good point of you really don't know what people are going through. Like those people with those difficult backgrounds. I mean, I, I had a really, I have a really good friend here that's a, a headhunter and he, you know, employs and staffs people in different organizations and got a call the other day from that employer and says, Hey, the guy that you hired for us, uh, he's, he smells every day. He's not taking care of his hygiene. Can you come talk to him? And I thought that was a very interesting level. Yeah, exactly. So where is this guy coming from? Is he living out of his car? Is he living in a mobile? Like, what is going on? Because the guy's showing up in a suit and tie every day. But it reminded me of kind of like the pursuit of happiness, like that movie line. What would you say? Like, how would you approach that conversation with someone who, you know, isn't taking care of themselves and they're showing up and trying to do the same job? Well, first of all, I would tell your friend to gift a copy of my book to this client <laughs> because your friend should not be the one having this conversation. Mm. Okay. I don't care how much money they paid him. It's not his job. It's, you know, it's the role of his boss. And I have had these conversations more than once. And, you know, you always just have to take it to a place where, you know, you say to somebody, you know, you probably don't realize this, but, you know, other people around you are really um, finding it challenging to be close to you. And here's why. And so, you know, is there something going on here? So I'll give you an example. I mean, I know um, we had, when I was working as head of HR, you know, we had an employee whose breath was like, Ooh. <laughs> and, you know, it turns out, you know, he was going through treatment for cancer. And I think some of it was the medication. We didn't know it. Hmm. So, you know, I'm not saying that that happens to everyone. And maybe that's just something he made up. I don't know. So if you have any doctors on the call, they may tell you, that's not true. I don't know. Um, but the point is, is that, you know, you have to come from a place of, you know, caring. I don't want you to have this prevent you from being successful. Mm. What's more difficult to you than like in these environments when you're approaching that person? Is it like telling them the actual truth or is it um, just maybe going up to them in the first place and just trying to, you know, help them in some type of way and just go out of your way by your, and you're taking some time. Like, is it difficult for people to tell the truth? Like, is that what you're finding in all this? Um, well, I think it depends on where you're from. Hmm. <laughs> As you and I discussed, I'm from New York. Right. So it's less difficult for me to tell the truth. You know, mm. um, I was raised in an environment where you just said what, what was ever on your mind. Mm. Um, I have friends from California who would never just tell you directly what they think. They would be much uh, softer. Mm. So I, I think it depends on where you're from. Uh, in fact, when I moved to Houston, I lived there for nine years. Uh, I remember being advised that I really need, I needed to step back and tone myself down a bit because I was a little bit much for them. <laughs> mm, right. And that's, that's actually a really good point because that like where you're from, your background, your understanding of what's going on 
is everywhere in business and in the world. So that's why you don't understand other cultures. Well, you've never lived it. Uh, that's why, you know, like, let's say the impact economy here, what we focus on, a lot of people won't know the terminology and may feel left out. So when it comes to like embracing um, someone who doesn't quite understand the language or doesn't have the level set that you have, what what advice would you give to people um, to to work with these others who aren't really speaking out that they may not understand uh, the the place where you're coming from? Well, I do think you have to take cultural differences into account. Um, I feel very fortunate in that I have traveled around the world. I took a year off and traveled. I've been to many many places, and that has exposed me to many different cultures. And I know. You know, in some cultures, being direct is not acceptable. Um, and so you have to kind of look at the situation and say, okay, yes, this works for me, but if I come at it this way, the other person is going to be completely thrown off. So yeah. I think you just have to be flexible and adjust your style and see where things go. And you can do that only if you're in the moment. And so many of us are so worried about, okay, and then if he says this, I'm going to say that. And then this, oh, he's going to say that, right? And we're not listening mm. and we're not really connecting. We're just like, we're going through a script. Mm. So is the key to listen then? Like if you think about people that learn better with direct, like uh, telling someone directly versus telling someone maybe more transitionally, like do you think you just have to like advice, your advice would be just to, make sure you're listening to that specific individual and seeing if they can take something directly versus maybe a, a slow yes, process. I think that's important, but I also think that you have to be authentic, right? Okay. And so, yeah, it took me nine years to become a Houstonian, you know? Mm. And then when I got back to New York, people were like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> no, mm. like I was like, would you please do this? And they're like, why are you being so nice? Or, so I think you have to adjust to your environment but a lot of times I'll preface the conversation by saying, you know, listen, uh, I'm going to be direct here. I'm not going to go around the block to get next door. Mm. And, you know, uh, I think if we do that, we're going to get through this a lot. You know, it'll be a better outcome. And so I think you have to also be authentic. I don't think if you're the type of person who is very, you know, direct and all of a sudden you try to be you're just going to be wishy-washy, right? And the person's going to be like, what are you talking about? Would you just tell me what you're trying to say? Mm, mm, got it. So uh, obviously you've taken a lot of time to you know, figure out why this is happening. So in terms of your career, like what are you trying to get at? What type of problem, cultural, societal, philosophical problem are you trying to get at that you know, eats you away at night? And you just keep seeing all these examples of, of what's going on and and you keep writing about like, what is it specifically that you're trying to achieve? Well, there are two things. One is um, I am trying to get organizations to really take responsibility for their ability to attract and retain talent. Uh, too many people are blaming the government for, you know, this and that. And it's like, yeah, you may be having a hard time finding talent, but there are people that are finding the same people you want. And there's a reason why they are. And there's a reason why people are staying with them. There's also a reason why they're not staying with you. Mm. And so if you're willing to be open to that, that's, that's a great place to start. And then the second piece is really ensuring that every single employee 
has what I call a magnetic leader, you know, and that's somebody who just is so wonderful that no matter where they go, you will follow them. Mm. Something that attracts people now, I would assume like what, what are some of the, I don't want to assume anything actually, what are some of the qualities of a leader that creates this attractiveness, this magnetic uh, gravitational pull? Yeah, the most the most important quality is authenticity. Authenticity. And then transparency. Um, that's that was the common thread when I wrote my book, The Magnetic Leader, and I interviewed people who I thought were incredible leaders. It really came down to those two traits. I mean, there were many more, but it was the fact that these people were very transparent and they would tell you the truth, even if you didn't want to hear it. Mm, mm, right. So at a macro level, like right now, I just that number just keeps popping in my head, 8.1 million, 8.1 million. Why are there so many? There are a lot of jobs out there, but not the people aren't really filling them right now, uh, whether it's from the stimulus checks that they've received. For sure, my, a lot of my friends and families are uh, members aren't taking jobs because of the stimulus checks. What do business owners have to prepare for in 2021 when employees are coming back to the workforce after not working for a long time? Yeah, I think the number one thing that they have to be aware of is that there's a lot of fear. People are still afraid, right? And so the advice that I'm giving my clients is don't just tell people what you're doing to make the work environment more comfortable, show them. And by that, I mean, like, you know, if you've now got your offices set up where no, nobody's working in the bullpen anymore, right? Mm. Um, take them on a video tour, you know, just take your iPhone and walk through the office and explain, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, you're, you're going to be sitting at least six feet apart from someone. When you come in, you're no longer going to go past the receptionist. Uh, we're no longer going to have community coffee, but we will do a Dunkin' Donuts run, you know, twice a day, mm. like, and deliver the coffee to you. I mean, so show them, don't just talk about it. And then make sure you put this on your website. So candidates who are looking at your company um, as a potential employer, they're like, well, that looks like this could be an okay place to work. You know, maybe you've taken out that ridiculous office slide, right? The one that you put in because you want it to be a really cool office between one floor and the other. Mm. You know, people don't want to go down the slide anymore. They want to take the stairs where there's room. You know. Got it. Got it. <laughs> when you said office slide, I was like presentation slide. No, no, an actual office slide. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Yes. So right there, that's kind of indicating to me that you really want to be upfront with people before they get into your culture. So uh, for setting expectations. If you're a direct leader, are you saying you should maybe be very upfront about your leadership style right when people get into the organization? Oh, yes. And here's what I love. Um, I was working with a client and we came up with this fabulous idea. And I think it would be great if your listeners um, did something similar. And that was in the job postings, don't just describe the job, but describe the kind of leader who is going to be overseeing this job. And so each of their job postings will say, you know, like, you know, you know, Roberta Matchison um, is the kind of leader that um, loves to help employees grow. I mean, because I do, right? It's not some BS line. And she, you know, her hobbies include this, this, and that, and whatever. It's just like we're humanizing 
the work experience. And we're letting people know, like, if you want a boss who's going to speak to you, you know, directly, and it doesn't beat around the bush, then you want to work for her. But if you don't want that, that's okay. <laughs> Go find another boss in our company. I love that. I've never heard that before. And I think it's spot on because so many leaders come on this show that says, you know, I'm, I'm not looking for people with these technical or hard skills. I'm looking for people with soft skills. People are going to grab the bull by the horns and get things done when they say they're going to get things done. I'm looking to hire leaders within my organization. I could care less about the degree and the skill set that they have. If they have a mindset of learning, listening, and, and willing to work, I will hire them. So I think when you have those two that kind of match with each other, that's going to create a, a really nice and very strong culture. It's very interesting. Mm. So Roberta, what else? Uh, tell us more about uh, what you, you're kind of predicting for 2021. Uh, are you working with any organizations or what are you seeing right now in terms of uh, hiring and talent acquisition that's uh, insight in, interests you? Well, I am seeing a lot of potential movement um, because I think a lot of employees have been just hanging in there for the last year because, I mean, they thought that they might not be able to find another opportunity hmm. or there was so much other thing. There were so many right, other things right. going on around them that the idea of a job change was just too much. Um, I'm seeing more, um, more organizations being compassionate. Uh, they're trying to work with their people and not being it's our way or the highway. And I think that's going to bode well for those organizations that are trying to bring people back. I think that the companies that are saying you will all be back um, are going to see a huge exit out, you know, out the front door. Forget about the back door. Uh, but those that are a little more, you know, we can work with you. Let's see how we can make this work. You know, until everybody just gets back to this place where they're like, yeah, I think I could come in another day a week. You know, mm -hmm. my house didn't fall apart. You know, my kids are staying back in school. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of organizations um, finally realize the need to really invest in their leaders. The really five-star companies will be looking back at how this went, this experiment we've been in, and they'll make some changes and they'll realize that we have to keep developing our people because, you know, we never thought this would happen and we have no idea what could happen in the future. Mm, that's an interesting point about uh, how many people are thinking about leaving jobs right now. There's a lot of people that stragglers, I think that you use that term, it's a really good term. Also, people have been working remotely. So, in, what advice do you have for leaders to have that conversation before they get blindsided before someone leaves their office, especially with being remote? Well, I tell my clients, listen, you know, every, you know, a couple of weeks, just get on the phone and we forget about this texting thing and, and there's this video and just get on the phone and just say, you know, how are you? Right. And then be quiet. You know, how are, no, really, how are you? Not like, you know, how's the report? Do you think you're going to get this done? Just like take a moment and ask people, how are you doing? And is there anything you need from me in order to, you know, help you have a more fulfilling life here? Mm -hmm. 
So you think people will stay because of that conversation or just like more of the personal understanding and empathy that they have for their employees who may not have been experiencing that or feeling that over that year? I think that they will stay if they feel like they're valued, if they feel like there's somebody there who cares. Um, there was just a story about a guy in a hospital who worked for a hospital in Italy. I just wrote about this on my LinkedIn blog. He had never showed up for work in 15 years. He's been paid. And now they're realizing he's never been there. Right. Like, so if you're in an organization and you think, you know, if I don't show up for the next 15 years, would anyone notice? <laughs> you may decide to write it out and just stay, right? Because you don't have to do anything. Or you may say that's not really for me. Yeah, I saw that article. That, that was really interesting. And, and I'm sure it's happening at a, you know, a greater level with people being remotely, you know, not uh, having someone that's next to them on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, is that showing up? Are you saying that that's showing up with results and productivity? I know business owners were really interested about this remote work culture in the very beginning and said, what's going to work? But are you hearing now that maybe we ne might need to make a transition back to in-person? Well, I will tell you, this has been going on way before the pandemic. Sure, and what yeah. I mean by that is that people have been showing up for work, but they've been completely absent. Mm, right. Okay. Now they're at their desk, but they're not in. Mm, okay. So how do we fix that? We have to start with one conversation at a time. Mm. Mm. So for organizations that uh, may not have the... I, I, amount of managers or leaders what what would encourage and embrace and increase employee productivity and retention when it comes to people who actually have the time to sit down and see how others are doing everyone has the time okay. it's a priority right it's like do you think this is a priority or not you know you you have the time to you know go chit chat with another manager about some game that you watched last night right I mean, you've got the time. It's like, do you see this as a priority? That's the real question. Do you see really engaging with the hearts and minds of your people as a priority? And is it something you like to do or are you just being very robotic so you can check it off your list? Mm -hmm. and, and doing it in a natural way, right? Like, I feel like if an employee just approaches me all the time and asks me like how I'm doing, it's very redundant and it may not be as meaningful, especially if it's at the start of every conversation. And well, like, yeah. it's, it's just a little redundant. So, um, but I mean, it, it, it does encourage that, you know, Hey, this is more than just a meeting. This is a, this is just, you know, we're, we're two people here. We're trying to get some things done and I just want to check in and see how you're doing. Um, yeah. And it could be as simple as, you know, tell me how your weekend was like, doesn't have to be, how are you doing? Right? right. It doesn't have to be the same words every time. It's like, you know, I remember you telling me that you were going to try to take some golf lessons. Did you ever do that? Mm. How'd it go? Right. Right. How often do you recommend checking in for like a, a, a review on your employees, like a full 360 review, just to sit them down and take an hour dive of your day to see what their pulse is on the organization, how they're, if they're achieving their goals, all the above. Well, I will tell you this, it's really hard for um, a leader to really get honest answers to that. 
um, which is why companies bring in people like myself to do 360s to find out, you know, how these leaders are being perceived. So, I mean, for example, if your boss came to you and said, you know, hey, how, how do you think I'm doing? I mean, what would you say? And I know he's or she is listening right now. What would you say? I'm fantastic. Best boss ever. Exactly. Okay. And so if you and I were to have a private conversation, one that would be confidential, and I would be speaking to your coworkers as well about, you know, what does your boss do really well and what's getting in his way, then we would have a more, you know, it would be a more honest conversation, right? Mm. So what winds up happening, though, is companies are like, oh, our HR people can do that. And let me tell you, no one's going to tell HR the truth. Mm. And if they do, then we need to talk. What are some common employee frustrations that you've come across in the past that tend to wreck organizations? Well, I have a situation right now where I'm doing a project where I'm interviewing um, former employees who have left. This organization has had a pretty big spike in employee turnover, and I'm having conversations with these people. And um, even I was surprised. Um, the results are quite eye-opening. And the fact is that these employees don't feel like they've been properly trained. And so they feel like when they have been dropped into their jobs, which are customer-facing, they're embarrassed, they're stressed out, they, they feel inadequate and they feel, and they make pretty good money and they're like, it's not worth it. Hmm. And so they leave, they leave after two months, three months. It's, it's just amazing to me how having spoken with the majority of the people already, that that was the first thing that they told me. So we've, t we've discussed expectations, values, setting time aside to have those right conversations. What was your advice to that organization uh, for how to change that at a systemic level with their leaders? Well, it's not their leaders. They, in this situation, they're going to just have to blow up their whole approach to training. It doesn't work. So there, there are other ways to get this done in a way that's effective because many other organizations are not having this problem. So in this particular situation, then, you know, my my advice is going to be blow it up mm. you can't fix this <laughs> you but, cannot tweak this you have to start over now where do you fall in the the line where it's like okay yes the leader can do a better job but at the same time the employee's got to have some type of accountability they're getting okay. paid to do this job and yet they're complaining or they want to leave the company and you know, like, where do you kind of fall on what's a good balance for a healthy organization? Okay. But if we, if you don't mind, I want to go back to the other situation sure. for just a minute. Yeah. Um, we never would have discovered this had they just looked at their data. Mm. You know, their data said these people were leaving, you know, for a better job or whatever. I mean, like you could name a hundred different reasons, but if I hadn't gotten on that phone and had those conversations, we never would have discovered this. It could have been, it would be years before anyone right. figured this out. So, um, but in answer to your next question, look, you know, as I write in my book, Can We Talk? It takes two people to have a conversation. And as I mentioned, when we first started talking out, talking, if your boss isn't 
interested in having a conversation with you where you don't think you're going to be able to change, um, you know, who they are or get them to see things differently, you're wasting your time. And you will have employees who, you know, they're not interested in participating in this conversation. They have checked out. Mm. And so then the conversation is, you know, it appears like you've checked out here. Mm. Is that correct? Well, yes, yeah, sort of. Okay, well, are you interested in coming back in or should we talk about how to transition you out? Right. I think you made a really good point about the data isn't going to tell you everything. Um, when I look at the data and let's say results are good, how do I know what's missing in the organization? How do I know what's going on other than having conversations with all, let's say, 1,500 employees of mine? Well, you know, first of all, here's the thing. I didn't have conversations with 1,500 people, right? I could have stopped this project after person number nine because every single right. person told me the same thing. I don't need to speak to 100 people. I mean, because, you know, it was a random group. So it's not like, well, they gave me like the lousy people first, right? So, you know, when you have yet, when you see that pattern, and it usually shows up fairly early, then you know. But, you know, you were asking the question about when you have good results. Well, sometimes we fall back and we go, well, look, you know, we're doing pretty well. Our net promoter score is this or that. We're, we're doing really well. Um, how do you know you can't do better? Hmm. So I'll, I'll share this with you. Um, my husband and I were watching a commercial yesterday. Um, we were watching TV and a commercial for a cable company came on and they said, we're the number one in service. You know, I don't know one cable company that any of us would say, when I think of service, I think of this company. I almost fell off the couch. But you know what? They want to believe that. They're going to tell you they're number one in customer service, but they're not going to tell you on a score of one to 100, they're a negative 20. And everyone else is a negative 19 mm. or 21, you know, they're not going to tell you that. So advice then for leaders on a leadership level, uh, you mentioned authenticity today, uh, those meaningful conversations, listening more. What makes a good leader to you? Well, first of all, someone who wants to be a leader. Too often, I've seen people anointed into leadership roles, right? Mm. You will be a leader. And no one ever says, you know, are you interested in leading? You know, what, what are your career goals? What is, you know, what are your dreams? No, it's like, oh, you're the best salesperson. You're going to be a leader. Like, uh, and you don't know how to say no, right? Or you're so flattered. You're like, oh, okay, I'll be a leader. And then you get in the job and it's not what you thought it would be <clears throat> and you don't like it mm. so i my advice and i tell this to clients is you know be really careful who you let into a management role mm. Mm. well roberta it's been a pleasure having you on the show today and as we like to wrap up this show we just want to touch on that last point as we talked about what a leader is but what is your definition of a real leader <laughs> A real leader is someone who's a magnetic leader. It's someone who attracts talent that will stick around. Love it. Easy, easy. 
Very well said, Roberta. I appreciate you coming on this show today, having these difficult conversations. And that number, 8.1 million, is just sticking in my head. It's going to be interesting to kind of see what goes on this year in terms of hiring and retention. Uh, so for Roberta Matchison, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be a magnetic leader, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Roberta. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast with Roberta Matchison. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And folks, if you want to attend these interviews live, all you have to do is go online to realleaders.com slash podcast and click on any upcoming episode to attend the show live. For the folks on Apple Podcasts, help a leader out and leave us a review today. Let us know what you liked and how we can improve the show. Lastly, if you want to email me directly about a leader who is driving change in your community, please email me directly at b at real-leaders.com. That's B-E at real-leaders.com. That's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to get access to all of Real Leaders Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a 100 dollar a year subscription hit the link in the show notes enter in coupon code podcast 20 to receive access to all of real leaders to get you to the next level thanks for listening to this episode and always keep it real